Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Hey, this is Zane Lowe. Thanks for joining us once again for our latest conversation on this, the interview series. So there are artists who are very productive and have a lot to say, and they're constantly releasing music and art, and, and that's fantastic. And you know, it's, it's always a blessing I feel to be in a relationship with an artist who's willing to just keep feeding you and feeding you. And then there are other artists who need to go away and live life, like really live life, like walk away altogether, like not be seen, not be heard. And you know, some of these artists can take five, ten, even fifteen years to come back with a record. But you know, when they do, that they have something to say and they want to share it. Our guest on this episode of the interview series is one of those artists, Florence Welch, aka Florence and the Machine, could have taken 20 years to come back and no one would have taken her place because she's just such a unique voice, has such a unique take on life. Whenever I hear Florence's albums, I always feel like she's talking to me, like we all feel with great art. And yet it's always such a personal reflection on what she's going through in that moment as well. That's a real gift. This new album is, I mean, it's my favorite. I think it's the perfect combination of this grandiose, very ambitious sound that she strives for in her music to help wrap up what she's saying. But it's definitely the most self-aware record, which makes the lyrics in these songs the funniest, the saddest, sometimes the most cutting and shocking. But all the way through, you really feel like Florence has just captured the perfect song for that moment. So you know what you got to do. Go listen to that album and dive into it. It will make your life better. And hopefully this conversation acts as a companion piece. Someone I've known for a very, very long time. This is my conversation with the brilliant Florence and the Machine. The glorious surrender. I've always felt whenever I've listened to your music that you're searching for that wonderful surrender where you're just willing to let go enough, let it happen, and then take a step back and say, what did I just make? <laughs> what just happened? And even in that song just there, it's like for the first time, Florence, I feel like you're actually coming face to face with the facts, that this is how it's always going to be, that to get this out of me, I just need to get to that place and be okay with it. Yeah, I think it's out of all the Florence and the Machine songs, it's sort of the purest sentiment of why I do it, distilled into why why music is so important to me, why I need it, why performance is so important to me. And it, it's kind of like it's such a simple phrase, but I feel like it's summed up so much. of. Oh, it's complex, though. <laughs> yeah. The concept of freedom is micro macro on a major scale. Yeah, and I think that's why I like songs so much, because I feel like um, I prefer... I, in lyrics and songs, I feel like in a song, you can hold so many complicated ideas and theory theories and existentialism. Like there's an existential bridge in this song. Oh, talk about <laughs> it. To talk about suffering and death and still keep singing. Yeah. Like the existential bridge, just a huge concept just right in the middle. Just a, like like a, just a nod to like, what is the meaning of life? But that's the, the album. The hi, by the way. Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> I mean, for those people that are watching, I know this album. And, and I got to celebrate and listen to this album long before we were sitting here. Oh, when I told you I was going to scrap it? Yeah, we, it's so <laughs> maddening. Like, <laughs> so this is the scene. We're in a room <laughs> listening to this album really loudly. There's only like four of us. There's me and my friend who I work with and you and your friend who you work with. And we're, and we're standing there listening to the music and we're having the best time. And after every song, Florence says the same thing. I'm probably going to get rid of that one. <laughs> <laughs> Just that moment when you have to sign something off. And I, ne I always think that every album would be different. But the moment when I have to give something up, it's like, no, I need to, I need to start again. I can't. Too standard, vulnerable. Standard artist issue. And, <laughs> but I'd like to ask you, because I feel like you really have an acute sense of that. Are you any closer to understanding where that fear is, where it hides? It's the vulnerability of it, I think. And, and also making a record is so fun. And, and when I make records, I make them really like with the, I have to make things with the idea that no one else will hear them. And I'm in a private dialogue um, with kind of myself and I... And so then when you get to the realization that this private dialogue is going to be completely public, I'm always, 
it's like I've tricked myself again. I'm like, what the f- you did it to yourself again. I know. And the thing is that you've dared yourself by that point. Yeah, that's so it. <laughs> to not do it, you'd regret it forever. Are there songs? Let me ask you this. I never asked you this. Are there songs you never put out? There's never a song. There aren't songs that I didn't put out because like I thought there's never been a song that I haven't put out because I thought this is fear. too much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's always always if I'm afraid or it feels really exposing or vulnerable, it's always like it's like the dare. It is like you, you it also maybe means something is working. If it makes you feel uncomfortable or vulnerable, mm. you're like, oh, this probably means it will resonate with people. Because it's the most kind of vulnerable things that really are the most universal often. 100%. That's the trade. That's the trade. People talk about authenticity in the arts. Well, it's just another word for honesty. Yeah, so I think the, um, but yeah, every time it comes to handing it over, I'm also just like, you think you'd be able to celebrate what you've done, but I'm just always flooded with self-loathing. So where does the celebration <laughs> begin? On stage? It's kind of on stage. Yeah, I think once you kind of hit, when you see people dancing to it or singing it back to you, like we've already been playing free a bit and it's so, sometimes you just know a song is working because when we started playing it before it had even come out, it just this ripple started in the audience of people catching onto the chorus and starting to move and it's one of those moments where I was like, oh, this is a special one. Like, this is really hitting something in people. Mm. And that's so magical for me. That's when it really, the celebration starts, I think. As soon as I, I finished it, I'm like, and another failure. <laughs> it's so funny. But it's that line in King, you know, I know my, I'm like, I was never satisfied. It never let me go. You know, oh, the like, self-awareness <laughs> levels on this album are through the roof. I talked about surrender at the very beginning. That's, that's a through line in your music. And, and if never for yourself, always urging us to, always creating music that you, that urges us to try to let go in the moment and very giving in that way. I think, you know, you make music for the community, but, um, but you've reached a level of self-awareness on this record where every song is just truth bomb after truth bomb after truth bomb. <laughs> and and so before we get into some of those truth bombs, um, was it was it exhausting? Was it liberating? Like, how was it to go this deep? It has felt... What I like about the truth on this record is that it's sometimes funny. Like, to me, to say... Um, kind of brutal things like what a thing to admit but when someone looks at me with real love I don't like it very much yeah. like I think yeah. that that's funny so I, <laughs> you think it's funny I think it's funny but my therapist is like you have to stop laughing at terrible things that's like what <laughs> Like she's like, A, you have to stop trying to make me laugh. And every time you say something bad, you think that it's hilarious. But that's my work. That's my ongoing work. That's your distraction. <laughs> well, there's a big uh but I think that the kind of I think there's a humor also in self-knowledge that runs through this record that I've actually found really liberating mm. and and able to kind of um to take the things that perhaps I used to protect myself, you know, mythologies and a creation and I feel like I can kind of wink at it a bit more and be like I know a lot of this is sort of fantasy but it's like the, the self-awareness has allowed me to maybe take myself less seriously as well which has been kind of enjoyable on this record. Well you're tackling big subjects and by the way you know uh, faith gets a battering <laughs> yeah. right in a good way yeah. lots of big questions but also lots of reverence like yeah. you know a desire to believe in something, but also not, I'm not going to believe in a wholesale. Like you got to answer for these things. Yeah. And that's, those are big questions. Like why, when it comes to God, is a big question. I think, yeah, girls, there's a lot of why on this record, I think, especially in Cassandra and Girls Against God. There's a lot of Old Testament style, like fist at the sky. Yeah, just be like, what, is this the plan? Yeah. I could have thought of a better, it's the ego of the artist, right. you know, of like un, knowing that you are, it's that funny thing of like um, inc- the artist's temperament of like incredibly low self-esteem and huge ego. <laughs> it is the most magic <laughs> chemistry of all time. Like how you get it together through that quagmire, I have no idea. So it's the juxtaposition of Girls Against God being like, I'm going to get you. I'm fucking awesome. Am I awesome? (laughs) Like I could do a better job and then just weeping into a bowl of cereal. Like I'm a speck of dust. I'm nothing. So I think a lot of it is um, wrestling with these. For me, music and gigs, it 
they are my kind of spiritual practice and making music. And I always felt like I was in communication with something outside of myself that would provide me this moment of relief from self. Um, and that is a kind of transcendence, I think. And so when all gigs and live and, you know, these it places that had been my church, you know. You felt let down. I felt abandoned, I think. I felt abandoned and I had thought I was on the side of the angels. And then it was as if the record, in the mythology of the record, I think at Girls Against God, it ends in this creep of like, I met the devil. He gave me a choice, a golden heart or a golden voice. <sighs> <laughs> Gotta drop one. <laughs> I mean, there are some real lines on this album. There are some cut through, timeless copyright thoughts that you've just put down on here that cut to the cut to the core. Like that is one of them. And how can you feel about yourself when you acknowledge that decision that you have to make? You know. Well, like, does it bring you closer to your talent or closer to what the heart wants? That's the question. The deal you make being a songwriter is that everyone around you is kind of like, you have to feed the monster all the time. So all the conversations you have, all the relationships you have Are around become, you. <laughs> yeah, become kind of, it's as, it, in kind of Faustian way, it's like, okay, this is all fuel for this kind of like song creature that I have spent the longest relationship that I've ever had in my life and the longest like love story is with the song itself and it is with songwriting and no one has been spared <laughs> in my life. And so it was kind of like a golden heart or a golden voice. It's like, I kind of have in all my relationships, like none, nothing has really been spared. Everything has been added to this song. And I think on this record, it was like, maybe this song creature is more malevolent presence than angelic um so a lot of that creeps into the more wow isn't that fascinating i mean if that's not a step into some form of mature self-awareness <laughs> i don't know what is because when you're a young artist you're coming out with your first two three albums it's feed the beast yeah feed the beast yeah and then it's like whoa have i become a part of the beast right well that's it and what is my relationship to this need to make things at the kind of cost of stability and the cost of even being in one place and the cost of your relationships and and you are always taking the most personal that should be reserved for the people that you are the most personal with and you don't give it to them you give it to thousands of people you don't know so it's like yeah but we give it back to you and we think we know you yes and that's the other thing so the relationship is built on this false economy of like we know you and you're like mm, but who am i when i'm not in front of you well then the, the whole thing was is mythology is it a protection or is it trap you know and i think a lot of the record is trying to unpack that um, and then building the mythology and tearing it down again in the verse and building it up and tearing it down. And that's what I love about this album is that you're tearing <laughs> it down. Like it's like you're, you're tearing down your own kingdom. <laughs> yeah. I want to start where the album starts. I want to talk about King. I want to talk about it as a statement um, for you. Mm. Before it becomes a statement for everybody else, what were you aiming to say? What, 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 what did you achieve with that song? I think I managed to achieve, which is what I wanted to, which was something that was such a strong statement but that the vulnerability of it was never lost in any of it because it's such a vulnerable question and it's so um so I think I, I and it was I, I was worried that people would think that it was just a rejection of these things like mother or bride and and I was really glad that the way that it has been received is more that people understood that it was actually kind of the agony of the splitting of these desires and as much as you can even the delivery of the i am king no it's you, you know you can, you've gone mad <laughs> yeah. in the best the way possible yeah. i wanted to embody the kind of desperation of that feeling that starts to come up on you and i think that um that the frustration of where i found myself as a performer i think the peak of my i felt like my creative abilities were finally at the peak of um, how I understood myself as an artist and what I wanted to do and that confidence, you know, that takes time. Um, Took four albums. 
Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was sort of like winding it up when I was 35. And then this sudden societal thing of just like, are there some things you forgot about? <laughs> like, because time is ticking. And the sort of, I think what it was just, it was fury as well. I'm in control. You don't get to exactly. tell me yeah. when my time has exactly. come. Exactly. Of like, yeah, for sure. I, this idea that there was so much I wanted to do, but if I wanted to have a family, there was a sense that suddenly I was being irresponsible with my time by choosing this thing that I've known my whole life, which is performance, which is making songs, which is striving to be the best performer that I can be, and suddenly realizing that it was felt like a kind of betrayal. Or that you were going to be judged for it too at some exactly. point. Like, oh, you, yeah. I guess you made your decision, Well, right? like you made your choice. And if yeah, you missed, yeah. you know, that was, that was uh, it, like that somehow it would be your fault or something yeah. that you missed that boat. And so I just think that scream at the end of King is not one that I, it's not because I'm, it's just one of like frustration and confusion as well. Beautifully captured. And everything that's been written about and said about and enjoyed about that song was it, it, to your intention because it, it, it is that moment. What you do on your time is up to you. What I do yeah. with my time is up to me. It's kind of that song was one of those things that fell out of the sky as well. And they sometimes songs just arrive end to end fully formed. And it's always when you think you'll never write a song again. And yeah, I, but it's normally by like, you know, it's normally like, what's that song? <laughs> I was running up on Sunday morning of last week. Don't steal my sunshine. Like they Engaging land with no in interruption. And that's a, you know, sunshine. it's like New Radicals. Like that song just probably came out of nowhere, right? Greg was like, I wrote that it's in five. To, to me, if you don't steal my sunshine. Like when people say that this just arrived into end, you go, yeah, of course it did. What a fucking smash. <laughs> it's not King. It's not like I woke up one day and I, and I tripped over King. I also was like, what you want to? <laughs> well, it we kind of it always comes at a moment where I'm like, the bar's real high for you, you know that, right? Like it's real high. I was like, I'll never write a song again. I can't do anything. And then I oh, was, wow. um, and it was, you know, I would. There was like a. It, it came from a real conversation in a real kitchen, and then it went into this metaphysical archetypes uh, world. And I think I was thinking about these male performers that I have idolized for so, like, I was thinking about Nick Cave, I was thinking about Leonard Cohen, I was thinking about how in some ways, although everyone undergoes huge changes, their physical, their physical bodies, and especially moving through touring, have been kind of allowed to remain unchanged. They get a pass. Yeah, and they can commit themselves entirely to, they can commit their body entirely to the stage. And these people that I had just tried to follow in their exact footsteps, I was like, oh my God, I can't do that. I'm not going to be able to do that. Like, I'm going to have to make choices that, and and that was kind of, so it, in, it's so funny because in the singing, I'm trying to still embody them, you know, like in the lower baritones, you know, I'm trying to do a Leonard or a Nick or an Iggy Pop was a really big reference. So it's this kind of like, I can do it. <laughs> it's like this sort of desperation of um, trying to hold on to this idea that I had about myself all the while that it is even being undercut by the song itself. So do you feel in establishing that principle for yourself and saying outright, no, I am king, mm. that do you feel empowered? Do you feel lonely when you establish that for yourself and go like, wow, now I'm getting there. My voice, I'm getting to that place. And, I, and I'm now, I'm kind of one of a few. I've just, it's like a statement of confidence, but also of sort of humor that the album has of like, if I'm going to sacrifice these other things in my life, I have to be the best, you know? And it was a, so it was a kind of statement of intent of, of confidence of like, it, it was interesting, you know, you've always had like the king of rock or the, you know, the king of this. I was like, why not? Why not me? Why can't I be king? <laughs> and every time that you get into that place where, it's all heart because we know that you also use your head like you for you to be able to say as a performer I'm going to adopt this tone to further establish this mm. this image through the song but then you get in that place where it's all heart you know mm. it's just you and the crowd and 
I've seen it so many times. And you are the king. <laughs> I think it was also, it was kind of like getting to that moment when I said, you want me to give this up? You want me to give this up? This thing that I am the, that I could be one of the best at, you know? And acknowledging that moment of, I've worked so hard to be the best live performer I can be. And that's something I take real pride in. And so it was this moment of being like, and now you want me to stop? Like, but I'm king. Like, this is all I've known and I've strived so hard to be the best at it. And I think I might be getting there. Um, and you've made peace with the idea that the things that most people slide into, and I'm not just talking about you as a woman at a point mm. in your life, but all human beings at some mm. point. It's a quote in a movie that says, we all get told we can't play the children's game anymore. And what that means is you either get injured or you choose a different life. And everybody in their life kind of makes a decision to settle down or mm. do this mm. or that, whatever. You're cool with it. You're like, I'm going for it. Like, this album is my statement to say that I am, I, I'm on, I'm staying the course. A lot of it is kind of questioning what it gives to me as well, and being like, why do I need this so much? Sometimes at the cost of maybe more. Uh, sustainable forms of intimacy or more um stable relationships you know because I think making an album every time it upends your entire life like if you're in a relationship they just have to hang on for dear life like it really does I mean it's got much less chaotic as the years go on but touring being a touring artist and being a musician is just so bad for the like personal relationships in your life and so I think this this record is questioning a lot my commitment to my sense of, and again, like winking at it and being like, how committed am I to my own loneliness? How committed I am, am I to my sense of like a tragic figure? And is it with, with the last record, I felt like it was like, God, I'm so lone, like the loneliness. And now I'm like, but are you, now this record is like, but are you choosing this? <laughs> and this is where your therapy, that's the great question. That's what therapy is so good for, right? Is <laughs> because, and, and you talk about humor and before you mentioned how, you know, you joke through the, through the harsher realizations in your, in your holistic <laughs> yeah. process, right? Which is super common, right? I like know. I do it too. Here I'll you just go. say something really brutal and then be like, ha ha. I'm always looking for a quip, right? When I when yeah. I come to a realization in my therapy, I'm always looking for some quip or whatever because I'm trying to kind of, I don't know, maybe put the mask back on. That's it, yeah. And I'm like, and then my therapist will not laugh. <laughs> Leave <laughs> the mask like, off. I was like, but that was really funny. You should have <laughs> laughed at that one. It was a good bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the way the humor flows through this record, I get it. And I, and I, I understand because you're addressing really intense things. Was there one moment during the making of this record that nearly... Nearly did you win? I mean, the whole record was really hard to make, actually. Um, it wasn't the making of it as such. It wasn't the writing. Like, the songs I felt, like, really, um, the songs came very naturally. They revealed themselves. Yeah, and I felt like I, I mean, Daffodil, I thought I'd lost my mind because I remember coming home and being like, okay, I wrote a song today might be the most Florence Machines thing I've ever done. It, we're like a year into the pandemic. I think maybe I'm losing it. The chorus is just daffodil over and over again. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, is, can you do that? Like, that's a crazy thing to do. Um, so there were moments where I was like, yeah, I think it's I'm a beautiful that. word. <laughs> but just that's the chorus. Yeah. Um, I think the making of it, there were so many moments where I nearly gave up on this record. There were so many moments where I just nearly went, it just feels like the the way that the world is, this is just too hard to finish. Because you started with Jack. I started with Jack and we were meant to make the whole record in Electric Lady in New York. Um, in, sorry, this is like trauma brain. And like March 2020. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I can't, sometimes I can't remember when, which March that was. Yeah. Because like, 20 and 21 is a bit blurry for me. So... March 2020, I went to New York. I had my suitcases packed for a month. We were going to make the like whole... Your timing, though. <laughs> we were going to make the whole... We had, a, we had a bunch of amazing songs done. So the reason I... Why started, Jack? Why did you choose Jack? What did you see in him? Because the first song we wrote together was King. <laughs> You're like, here we go. Yeah. All right. The first song we wrote together was King. and mm -hmm. I found my queen. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack had wanted to work together for a while and we met and... 
we just got on really well. I found him really great to talk to. And, but you don't, you never really, I never start working it with anyone at this stage in my career unless we get in the studio and do something. And that really tells you whether something's going to work. So there's never any, you're never like, yeah, let's do this until you've had like a play date. Um, and on this play date, we wrote King and then Coriomania was, the, so I'd had, I'd had Coriomania and it was in kind of a very demo-like state. And the, what Jack did to it was just, he just took it so far. Um, and so I was like, this guy's really good. Yeah. <laughs> he's really, he's really good. And he's a gifted communicator. That's what I hear all the time. And so it was just those two, the strength of those two songs. I was like, okay, there's really something here. And then we agreed to start the record together and we got to New York in that one week we wrote free and we wrote back in town. Ironically, back in town was the last song I wrote before my mom called. My mom never calls me. She's a very busy lady. We basically have to make appointments with her secretary. <laughs> or is it just self-preservation? Is she just as a mother just like, listen, my daughter, I love her unconditionally, oh my God, but she is a lot. And you need to make sure that she gets You really one. might have something now because she has dealt with this for 35 years. Like, sweetheart, I love you, but you got to go through my assistant. It's honestly never got that much better. Like it's always like... Floods of tears, everything's a disaster. She's, she's busy. Like, I'm busy. She's busy. I'm busy. So she's a busy lady. She, so never, she calls you up. She never calls. I saw my my mum and I was like, she said, you, you should come home. And she never, um, if mum calls, somebody's died or something has happened. I was like, I saw her. I was like, it's time to go. Um, and it was very much that stage where we were like, this is just, this will just be a month. It was interesting to me though as well, because for all of my anxiety, and for all of my worrying about things that would happen in the future, I was wildly optimistic about this. Like, Interesting. But all of my idea that my, and I, it just proved to me that my anxiety doesn't know anything. My anxiety is not uh, psychic. Like everything that I think bad will happen tends to not happen. And then the things that I cannot conceptualize, like happen, um, which is weird. So I'm just, oh, I'm like weirdly optimistic. Um, so me and Jack were both like, see you in a month, like, going to get home. Um, and then I didn't see Jack for a year, and a, half, a year and a half. I mean, I don't think he left his apartment for a year. But people did get on with it virtually, but it's just not how... It's not how... It's such. It was such a strange situation to be in because this record, like, its name came up, like, on me like a fever, like, dance fever was real. I had said in highest hope, like, I'm going to have a huge... The record itself is also, like, all these moments to stop and like pursue more kind of domestic desires. Every time they came, I ran away from them and I ran back to the studio and I ran back to a record. And I'd really said after Hire's Hope, like, I'm going to take a huge break. Touring is so hard. Putting out records is really stressful. And then as soon as, in 2019, as soon as we played that last show, the songs just flooded me. Like Dance Fever arrived almost just fully formed. I was like, I have to make this record. I have the title. I have the concept. Um, and it was like, and I, and so I was really in the flow of this incredible burst of creativity that just got severed. And I came home and I didn't write anything, not a single song for six months. Did so you it's like the it? whole first half of the record is that first flood of re creativity. And when it gets to back in town, and then, and then the next song we wrote remotely was Girls Against God. And you can hear it because the anger kicks in, the frustration kicks in. They're like, I didn't ask for this kicks in. I, I know I may know. not look like much, just another screaming speck of dust. Yeah. So brutal. <laughs> so brutal. And without without getting too personal, because I think it does run as a theme through the album, did that space allow you the time to better understand your relationship with domesticity and with the idea of, you know, relationships and what value they can bring to you? Or are you still running into the studio, do you think, in your heart? I think was such an interesting cycle because because the pandemic went on for so long and the lockdowns went on for so long I at first the grief was at maybe touring never coming back or shows like because I know it's so easy now things are coming back and 
No, it was there real. Were, there were months there where nobody knew. Yeah, I did hundreds of conversations because we didn't stop. And I would do, I mean, Scott will tell you sometimes because people were at home and were like, yeah, I'd love to connect with my fans. And sure, I like talking to you. So we'll have conversations. We'd do like 20 a week. And, and it was so interesting watching artists try and figure it out. And really at the core of it was this kind of, is that it? Is the, is the ride over? That was, it felt, you know, that line is empires crumble and cathedrals flatten in my heart. In Cassandra, I was like, I had, like I was talk, like I talk about in King, my whole life had been striving to be a better live performer, to bring people closer, to get people to connect more. And I felt like this cathedral of touch that I had built had just flattened yeah. overnight. Yeah. And the huge relinquish of control the, going on. Yeah. And the grief at the loss of, it's also, it was like, it's my job. And I just didn't know if it would come back. And I don't know how to do anything else. Did you even, did it even cross your mind what life would be like? Anything else. I, 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 so it, because it took, because there were so many false starts as well of like, we can go to finish the record. Oh, we can't. There's another variant. We're going to get to New York to do it. Oh, there's another, like, we can't. Um, everyone in England has COVID. You can't leave. America doesn't want you. What? I've never been but not like, wanted by America. You are banned yeah. from everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, not me. No country wants you. They, like, they love me in Seattle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so there were so many false starts of like whether this record would even finish and where the gigs, and you know, you would see a tour go up, you would see it get cancelled. You would see a show go up, you would see it get cancelled. And so... It was almost like after two years of desperately wondering, I kind of almost like settled in. I was like, you know what? Maybe this isn't, it's like, I will never, I could never live without this thing. And I still feel that like a world without live music, I was really questioning whether I even wanted to be in that world. Like I, that's, that's how I've seen kind of miracles take place is on stage it's how I've seen people like transcend their physical bodies and like bring heaven into the room like, it's I've also a theme of this album yeah. the idea of being able to take what is essentially performance even if it's just for yourself and and um it becoming this this therapy this kind of idea of salvation well that's my morning Elvis is about I've seen performers in so much pain just alchemize that pain and turn it into the purest expression of love and generosity. And that's a really that song in particular, if we just stay there for a second, because that song is desperately sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's really coming face to face with like it's almost mortality in my head a little bit. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe not as, as cut and dry as life or death, but certainly the mortality of a spirit. What is the story? The story is, so I think it was when still like no shows were happening and I was watching, there's a funny tie, like I'm obsessed with Nick Cave and as a performer, but the performer he's obsessed with is Elvis. So that's how it feeds back to me is all kind of through this. Um, and then I, I think there was, I was at home and stuck and there was an Elvis documentary and and so I was just thinking about performers and the king, the idea of the king was sort of floating around. So, but I, it made me remember us uh, when we were on tour and I think we were in New Orleans and it was very early days. I think it would have been maybe second record. So not that early, but the wheels were really coming off for me in terms of like drinking and partying on that second record was... was that's when things were really ramping up. Ceremonials right? by name, ceremonials yeah. by nature. That's when things were really ramping up. Um, and I think we had gone to play a Voodoo Festival in New Orleans. And we were all supposed to get the tour bus to Memphis that night after the festival. And we had a private tour booked to Graceland. And I was just got very in the spirit of New Orleans and was at a party and just went, you all leave without me. I'm staying, I'm staying at this party. And I think my, I ended up, my dress was completely shredded. I was just sort of, and then I had to be, I was like found in a, I was like the crew, I think my tour manager had to come and get me from a hotel room, but all my clothes were completely shredded. Um, Cause I'm always wearing these vintage things that basically just stick to disintegrate. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and if you're out on a rager, like yeah, they yeah, really yeah. you will you will come back with nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but it was also like I was like, what 
was it about my young self at the peak of her, at the peak of things that were going, you would have thought things were going so well for me. What was it about me that had such a death wish? You know, like what, I had such little care for myself at that moment when ceremonials was like starting to blow up everywhere. And it's, I almost like, sometimes when I look at younger artists having a huge moment, I always wonder what it's like for them on the inside. It's like, in some ways, I'm like, that's so great for them. But I know what it's like to be on the inside of that. And I think I was sort of trying to unpack that moment when everything essentially was going right. And yet I was kind of wandering the streets of New Orleans in like a shredded chiffon dress. And and then my tour manager had to come and get me and put me in some clothes that she'd got off a roadie and get me on the plane. Get and you get out me, of New Orleans. Just get me out of New Orleans yeah, into Memphis. Out. And instead of going to Graceland, I spent the day before the show and pure lying <laughs> on the bathroom tiles because that's where it's cool and just thinking there's no way I'm going to be able to do this show there's just no way and I and every time I'd, kn I'd know I had a show the next day I know I had a huge responsibility and that's when I would just blow everything up um but it's also just a testament to the power of performance because this was the pro problem with me and it's why it took maybe it took a little while for me to sort myself out. It's because I could always do the show. There was yeah. something about the alchemy. You knew where the button was. Yeah, there was something about, and, and that was also where the place I went to be saved. You know, like, it didn't matter what I had done the night before or the week before or what chaos I had um, created. I knew if I got to the stage, something there would save me and that I would be absolved. And that song is kind of about that feeling, but also a testament to all the performers I've seen turn pain into something so beautiful oh, crazy that is like to me what you're telling me you summed it up it's like that is a that's a fucking really destructive trade i was thinking about like how lucky i am that somehow something cared about me more than i cared about myself and what was it i think it was somehow um, I don't know, but I think it was that thing that you're talking about of just like surrender of just, um, I had thought that the chaos in my life and the drinking and everything was fuel for my creativity. And that was how you were a rock and roll star. That was how you did it. That was the brief. And to be, you know, cause you, as a, as like a, as a young woman coming out in the indie scene, you didn't want people to think you were like girly or you talk about sensitive. It. And it was like, if I can drink as hard as these people can, and if I can drink them under the table, that's how I make my place in this world. And it was that was a, all I knew. It was a scene. It was I a mean, scene. You all, I mean, I was there, remember? And trust me, I wasn't there like you guys were there, but I would sort of check in and yeah. check out once in a while. And it was a scene. And it was a great scene full of wonderful characters and a lot of love in the room and a lot of support, a lot of young artists supporting one another. Mm. But everyone was pretty fucked up. God, yeah, yeah. No, it was real. It was, um, and that's like, in the South London scene that I came from, that was how you did it. You know, you, it was like, the gig was either side of the drinking. And then, like, it was, like, the drinking before, the drinking during, the drinking after. And if you could hit the sweet spot where that made the gig really good, that was great. Sometimes you missed it. Yeah, <laughs> Sometimes some... you missed it, and you're just throwing a bucket of paint on someone and screaming, and that's the show. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one. I missed that one. I mean, there's a great line in this, which is the where the humor kicks in, where you talk about 2006 and the music scene. Oh, yeah. And you talk yeah. about Tom Vick, who Tom I love, Beck, yeah. you know, and just, it's a really lovely, very inside, inside baseball kind of reflection on that time when everyone's coming up. But what is that image to you? And why is it in the song? It's so funny. That song is, you know, when in the lockdown, it just created this nostalgia loop. Yeah. Um, Hell yeah. And I went on the internet and looked up people I haven't thought about for 30 years. Yeah, it was... It's almost creepy. It was this... It's like, I went to school with you. What are you doing now? <laughs> oh, cool. You're an MP who, for, the, for, the green, for the Green Party in New Zealand. Well, that's awesome. I always liked you. I knew you'd do something really valuable. I'm telling you a true fucking story. I nearly went down to a Maserati dealership <laughs> to say hello to a cricket bowler who used to scare the sh 
out of me. No, that was That's it. how f***ed up it got for me. <laughs> yeah. um, or just reaching out to like anyone on, like random people on Instagram who did like a post that you liked being like, hey, I, I love that. And like, just I think the connection. desire for connection was yeah. so strong. And yeah. But I think what the nostalgia loop was, it was weird. I was nostalgic for things that weren't available to me, even if there hadn't been a pandemic anyway, which is essentially being 20, having no responsibilities, having none of Florence the Machine had started yet. Like, a bit and, young for a midlife crisis, aren't you? <laughs> I, but I think it put, it put everyone into an early midlife crisis. You know, it was like, it, it was really, all you were left with was like your life up to that point because you also weren't creating new experiences and you didn't know when those new experiences would come again. 100%. When you get locked in your own head, it's, it's not too long before you start looking back. And so I think the thing that I was most hungry for was that time almost before, because although the fact that this music took off and the fact that Florence Machine happened is incredible to me. Like, it's so... It's so kind of, it, it's so of its own world that the fact that it became big is kind of crazy. You know, like it's, it's this, this sort of like wild thing that for it to sort of go global, it, I'm, I'm never kind of get over that that happened. Um, Did you ever feel, can I ask you a weird question? Did you ever feel any kind of guilt that it happened for you and not for some of the people that, you had those really formative fun times with when you were running around London having it's, a great time. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because it's like... Because you all had the same dream. We, Yeah, we did. And it is, it is funny to me that that happened to me and that it carried on. And I, it is weird. It is this sort of like the people that I idolized and the bands that were bigger than me when I first started out and the bands that I would follow around, like some of them just sort of never never made it out of that South London scene and, and and also never really quite made it out of the like the pub scene and the drinking and and I do I do one this is the thing I can't tell I'm a bit like would I just still be there drinking in South London if this hadn't happened for me you know did the performance save me in a way even though usually like the pressures of fame make things much worse you also feel a kind of like, because if you start out in the indie scene, you always feel this like indie guilt. <laughs> That's what I was getting at. Yeah, you always feel this indie guilt. It's like, like we're all in this together, yeah? We're a scene. <laughs> yeah, and when you kind of like get, because it's also you feel like those people really know you and knew you at your youngest and your messiest. And so when you come out there and you're like, I am in the machine. I am king now. They're like, we knew you when you were just like running around South London you know barefoot barefoot big thing about drunk, flow always barefoot <laughs> screaming I mean the amount of times I'd be DJing and there'd be flow on the floor and there's just broken pine glasses everywhere and she's just like literally just dancing around to the rapture house of jealous lovers with bare feet and covered in club dirt as well you know just dirty <laughs> Just blood on the on the feet, and I'm just like, wow, man, this is. She's don't worry about it. She'll be fine by the pyramid stage next year. <laughs> I'll be like, no one would have thought. Like, oh, well, yeah, that person will get there. Like, no, everyone will be like, hey, hey, she will be he, dead. No, no, no. <laughs> That's where you're wrong. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. Florence. Everyone knew. Like everyone did. Like it wasn't. And to your point, I think it was just unstoppable, really. In a way. Yeah. I, I, and that's what I mean by surrender. Like, it's crazy to me how you've been able to hold on through this. Because honestly, I don't know too many artists where the music and the words and the performance flow through them with almost a force that is not yours to conjure. Does that make sense? Well, I think that's the right way to put it because it's not mine. I feel like if I'm really in the right space creatively and with the performance it is something that is not me and it is so much more powerful than I am and I, so I always wish that I could like figure out how to be the person that I am on stage in my daily life but it's like it's not accessible to how me. How could you be that all the time when you just said it's so much more powerful than you? That's got to take its toll. Like I'm not trying to be dramatic yeah. but when you're out there putting so much into this and in a way it's like you're just a vessel for this how could you then just like keep that that gas on all the time? Just like that's why you need to step away, you know. I think that is why after 
highest hope, which especially like the gigs, also with that album being so vulnerable and the things I was singing about, like the gigs got so much better, but it took, it, every time you give more, it takes more out of you. And, um, and the shows got better, but I got more and more exhausted. And that's when I was like, I'll, you know, in, in the, um, in Morning Elvis, after every tour, I swear I'll quit. You know, I was like, I can't do this. But I always come back to it because it is a place of, if I'm in the right mindset and I'm doing it for the right reasons, which is really just true connection with whatever that thing is outside of myself and the audience, um, it's a, it's so peaceful, that place. Even though it's the loudest place in the world, it is where I'm suddenly like, things make sense to me here. So that's, I think, why... And, and it, it's basically, I think the way I describe it is what alcohol what alcohol used to do for me is it would turn the sound down in my head. So I would have this ch like endless ex existential chattering all the time, like why, why, when, how, who, what's going to happen. And when I drank, it was it's like looking for oblivion, but in a bad way. And I think what performance does for me is it also turns all that sound down. And you do get to experience the kind of positive oblivion of like a loss of self. Um, but it's, it's so funny to me because I've said this a couple of times and I'm like, what am I actually saying? That to be at peace, I need everyone in the room to be looking at me? Like, like, what, like, I hate to break it to you, but that's kind of the art like, of performance. What, what am it's I saying? That the only standard. time I feel relaxed is if everyone in the yeah, room is if listening If you're looking for an intervention group, <laughs> just go on Apple Music and search artist. <laughs> Like, yeah. oh man, what is like? You We're know. all the same, all the same, all the same, all the same. Every human being in their own way is the same. But what you are, you said to me just then, which is really interesting to me, which is like, it serves the same purpose that alcohol used to. One was a destructive distraction, one is a healthy distraction. Yeah. So when you didn't have the performance, were you worried that you might slip back into drinking and old yes, habits? Big time, because it's also. It was like when you... What else are you going to do? Yeah. I was like, what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what's the point? I have what's 18 <laughs> hours to spend here, right? And I'm on my own or I'm with one other person. Yeah. What the f*** are we going to do? I was, I was like, what's the point? It's also like, I think, I was like, what's the point of trying to be good or trying to keep myself... Because a lot of of what makes sobriety amazing is that is it that you get this very big life. So you get to do and experience things that you would have completely ruined had you been drinking or you don't, um, you wouldn't be able to show up for or you just mess things up. And so sobriety gives you an ability to, to live. And when there was no living to be done, I was like, I don't know, maybe just drink. But I think luckily I'm further along now that I'm like... Discipline's a real thing. It's not even discipline. It just doesn't it's not, it, it crossed my mind, but I'm like, it's not, it's not, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't stick. It's like a fleeting thought, but I definitely had that, like, without that outlet, without creativity, um, definitely some of those thoughts crossed my mind. Can we just spend one minute talking about the bomb? I love that song so much. And I find Do you? it. Oh, I'm so glad. Uh, it, it's, it's one of the more revealing records as well. Uh, songs on, on an album full of them. And I just would love some thought on that song. I promised myself I'd ask you about that song. So that song, um, it feels like a lot of this record feels like each, there's a lot of nods, I think, to the previous records, all three of them in this album, which is nice because I feel like somehow I'm bridging the gaps between all of them on this record, like all the things I've been interested in. And I feel like this song is a kind of, it's nodding to what I was thinking about in terms of like unavailability in people in, in um, Highest Hope. When in songs like Big God, you know, with like the obsession of someone who'll never text you back. Like, why is that? Why is that emptiness so appealing? Um, why is the person who creates the most space and gives you nothing? the most appealing person. And really that's because if you're a songwriter, they give you the most enormous space for fantasy and you can write anything you want because they don't really exist. <laughs> I love how like the tradition of the bomb in radio is when someone like drops a big song. I've now been able to transfer <laughs> that experience into big thoughts. So whenever I've worked it out now, whenever anybody drops a big thought, 
You've had two. That's a lot. So I think <laughs> I think it was um, conceptually, it was like understanding that a bit more, which I think, um, and it was like, uh, every time I think in my life I've been in a stable place, something or someone will come up and be like, how do you feel about blowing all this up? <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel about, and it will seem so enticing and I think a lot of my times I've thought that I that it was love. And actually what I realized is it's just that I want to annihilate myself. And that's that's a tendency I've had my whole life. And whether I could use drugs or whether I could use drinking or whether I could use self-loathing or I'm just going to use a person. And it's like, I think, again, it's like that is a little bit, I deal with that on Back in Town as well, which is like I came for the pleasure, but I saved for the pain. Oh, what a lyric. <laughs> It's also this idea of like, oh, it isn't love. It's just that also, it's also, it's a fear of growing up and a fear of getting older. Because if you regenerate yourself constantly through other people by blowing up, changing everything, you never have to face aging or death. Yeah, it's identity <laughs> renewal is what it Constant is. Constant identity renewal through other people. And I think it was me staring at myself. And when I'm saying to the, like this person or whatever, unavailability, is the only thing that turns you on. You're always talking to yourself in a song. 100%. Whenever you sing something that you think you're singing to someone else, you're always singing to yourself. <laughs> that really. is the most that is the most that, that is the most unspoken rule of songwriting and no one ever wants to acknowledge it because it gives the game away completely. Right? Everyone hides behind that thing, but just you never truly divorce yourself from That's that experience. It. You're always saying something to yourself even if it's supposed to be a very pointed thing at someone else. So, so Flo, here's the really good news. You are growing up. <laughs> I'm seeing things as how they are. But but here's the good news. You're still you. And you've made the album of your life so far. Like, I don't see how you can be a fan of you and listen to this album and not just feel like, wow, all roads led to this. And that's all we can ever hope for is that as you grow into somebody that you like, because I don't think any fan truly wants the trade to be art over life yeah right no. so you have to find a way to take it back because you've given us enough but yet you've still given us this and it's like such a triumph mate I feel I feel like I'm so um, what's nice about it is I feel like I managed to take everything that I learned in the last 15 years and consolidate it into this record into this art into the videos so it is, it does feel like that moment if I was to take a break afterwards, I would be happy with like how I left things. You know, I felt like if I was, if I had to prove something to myself somehow, I, I kind of did it um, on this record, which it's, you know, it's funny. If something's good, it means that you don't think about it anymore when it's done. You know, like it's always the things that you didn't quite, like get right or work hard enough that you keep thinking about for years and there's something about this record where you can I feel like I can kind of go okay I can like think about other stuff <laughs> all right there it is my latest conversation the latest of many that we've had from sort of the very start of Florence and the Machine right through to the present day feeling very grateful that we're both still here and able to connect about her music listen to the newest album from Florence and the Machine called Dance Fever on Apple Music now